My name is Andy Hermanson. If you don't know me, I'm uh, one of the members of the staff here at Lutheran Church of Hope's Des Moines campus. And like John said, uh, it's, just, it's just glad to have you with us. We're glad to have you with us here this morning. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. Uh, and to be honest, I, I, I'm really excited for what God wants to do. I've been thinking about it this week, and we've been looking and talking through uh, uh, just sermon ideas and sermon topics. And as I've been kind of working on this, looking at this book of Romans, the reading that we just heard, I'm really uh, excited about it. But I, I also want to just mention that what John said last week about something about when we just get up and we get in the morning, uh, we get up on a Sunday morning, it's time to go to church. It's just, I'm just excited to come here. I'm just excited to come and, and spend time with you all. And, and it's not just because the stories that I get to hear, and some of you tell some really fantastic stories, not just about uh, what's been going on and the, the trouble you've been getting into or the fun that you've been having, but, but the stuff that God's been doing. Just the stuff that God's been doing is part of your lives. It is so cool to come here on a Sunday morning and to hear you share those stories and not just to share them but, but to watch you share them with other people and to watch us grow as a church family. It's a really cool thing. But there's another reason why I like you guys. There's a lot of reasons. But here's the other one I was thinking is you all have the ability to ask great questions. And some of you know this because you've asked me questions about the Bible, questions about faith. Somebody just asked me this morning, how do you get rid of raccoons in your front yard, right? I mean, you never know, you never know what's going to happen when you show up to Hope Des Moines in the morning, but you ask, you ask some great questions. And some of you know that because you've seen me sweat, you've seen me ship off to the twilight zone as I'm trying to think, and just, you, you just got me thinking. And yes, your questions can be tough. Yes, your questions can be challenging, but I want you to know this morning that your questions are good. Right? Sometimes I think in the church there's this tendency to think, oh, questions are bad. If, if I'm questioning things or if I want to know more about something, then it just, it's not really a healthy faith. And I just want to tell you, we are a church that does not shy away from the tough questions. We are not that. In fact, we love your questions so much, we made a sermon series out of them. And that's uh, what we're doing this morning. So we're diving into our next uh, phase or our next session here of... Uh, this sermon series we're going through, it's called Since You Asked. Last week, if you were here, John talked about uh, where is God when we hurt. I know we have these tough times in our life, these, these times where we just want to say, God, where are you? God, what's going on? And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how do I grow in my faith? Do I still need Jesus in his church? Great questions. And to be honest, if you're not asking those questions from, tough, from time to time, are you growing in your faith? I mean, questions are good, and we've been wrestling with the last few weeks, and so today we want to take another step into the next question, which is this, and I think it's a great question this morning. God, what do you want from me, right? I feel like I hear my kids ask that all the time. Dad, what do you want from me? All you want me to do is go to bed on time, right? What do you want from me? And I think it's a great question. It's an important question because it's maybe not the first question we ask God when we get out of bed in the morning. Maybe it is. But it's absolutely essential to having a relationship with anybody. In fact, the main part, the basic part of having a relationship, if we want to be connected to somebody, if we want to understand them and have, have a relationship, the ability to relate to them, then at some point we're going to have to, to do what the teenagers call DTR. Everybody say DTR. DTR. Right? Define the relationship. Now, normally when you're a teenager, and I used to work in student ministry, that means like, so are we going to take our... our our relationship the next level? Are we going to move from texting to actually talking in person? Right? Are we going to define? Are we going to have the conversation? And I'm not saying that we're going to exactly have that conversation with God, but it's an important conversation to have, right? I mean, if we're going to be in a relationship where mutually 
right, people are fulfilled and are blessed and benefit, if they're going to get out of it what God has intended for the relationship, then we have to ask the question, God, what do you want from him? And what does this look like? What does this mean to be in a relationship? And in case you don't think this is a big deal, in case you don't think you ever need to ask God the question, what do you want from me? If, you, if you're the kind of person in relationships, you never bother to ask, what is it that you need from me? What is it to the other person you ask, what is it that you want from me? Then I just want to give you an example this morning of why it can be a big deal. A while back, a little, I would say eight to nine years ago, I got to be careful I answer this because I'm talking about my marriage here. Right, but a little over eight years ago, if you want to be exact, I married this woman, this woman named Heather. And in case you haven't met her, she's fantastic. In fact, I would go so far as to say she's, uh, she's gorgeous, right? And here's the thing that I learned about Heather after I married her. Well, I knew this before, but I, as I learned as we were dating, she has a birthday every year, it turns out. And as her husband, apparently I'm supposed to get gifts and, you know, kind of do the husband thing, the fiancé thing, right, by celebrating her birthday well. And so we'd just been married. We were living out in Seattle, right? And I didn't grow up with any sisters, you know. I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, but I thought, you know, it's her birthday. I got to get her a gift. So what did I do? I jumped in the car and I went to the mall on the day of to get her a gift. And so I'm going and I'm thinking, all right. I want to get this woman. I mean, this woman means everything to me. I want to celebrate her. I want to get her a gift. I want to get her something that matters. And I thought, well, what does she need, right? And that was my first mistake. If you ever want to get a woman a gift that she loves, don't just, I mean, don't just go for the vacuum, right? That was kind of my first thought, I'll be honest, right? Don't just think of what somebody needs, but what do they want, right? Isn't that what makes relationships great when we know somebody to the extent where we can know what speaks to their heart? What what fulfills them? What moves them? So I wasn't thinking about any of that at the time. I was thinking about what does my wife need? And so I go to the mall and I'm walking around Macy's and I'm thinking, man, she's always carrying her laptop in this tote. It looks kind of funny. And I don't know, I see all these people walking around, professionals that they've got like these, these bags, these briefcase type things, you know. And, and so I thought, oh, I bet she could use one of those. Something to put her laptop in, something to put all of her papers in, all of her work stuff, right? Not a purse, I mean, let's be honest here. You need the purse, is what I understand, right? But she needed something else. And so I go and I get her a bag. Not just any bag, though. It ended up being kind of a man bag, as she put it to me, right? Here I am thinking I've done the best thing, this absolute loving thing, that I've given her exactly what she needed. I gave her this bag. It was amazing. I mean, it was black and it was leather. It was kind of clunky, but it had lots of room, right? It was exactly the bag that I wanted. (laughs) And so imagine my surprise as she opens this thing up, as she unwraps this and she goes, what did you get me? I said, it's perfect. And she said, no, it's not. And I learned something that day. I learned in my relationship with, wife, with my wife, apparently she doesn't want a husband that get, gets her the gifts that he wants. Right? She looked at me that day, and I'm, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I'm sure it was something along the lines of, I want so much more than this. And it's not about the gift. Right? But it's about the process that I went through. What was I thinking going the day of? Right? In these relationships that we have, we have expectations. We have things that we need. It's no different 
in our relationship with God. And so eventually we come to this point where we have to ask God, what do you want? What does it look like for us to be in a relationship with you? And so we want to talk about that this morning because eventually all of us come to this point in our faith, whether we know it or not, it's a lot of times it's why we start reading the Bible is because we want to know what this story is all about. We want to know what it means to spend time and to be in a relationship with God. So God, what do you want from us? It's something we should be asking as a community, but also as individuals. God, what do you want from me? It's a question in Scripture that many have found themselves asking, including a scholar that was trying to trick Jesus. And I want to start there this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 22. And I don't have the page number for you this morning, but I can tell you, it's in the middle of the Bible, Matthew. It's the beginning of the New Testament. Towards the back, Matthew chapter 22, and I want to start in verse 34. And I got to tell you, before I dive into this text, I mean, this question, what does God want from me? It's a question that people have been asking for centuries, and there are a lot of different answers, right? So I just want to clarify that for you this morning, but I also want to set the stage for you and just know as Jesus is having this conversation with this scholar in the town square, Jesus is on a roll, right? Look at the very first verse right before that, verse 33. He's been talking with these Sadducees, and this is what the author uh, Matthew has to say right before he jumps into this story. When the crowds heard him, they were astonished at his teaching. Have you ever been in an audience where you were astonished by what you saw, where your breath was taken away? You were so moved that you were captivated by it. Well, that's the kind of conversation Jesus has been having throughout these entire few pages here. And so we pick up the story in verse 34. He was just talking to the Sadducees, and now he's going to talk to the Pharisees. But when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced, that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they were arguing about the resurrection, what that looked like. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Meaning, teacher, what is the most important thing that I can do? You could put it another way. God, what is it is the most important thing that you want us to be about and to be known for? And so Jesus hears this question of being the clever fox that he is. You ever think of Jesus as a clever clever fox? Right? He's so smooth. It's like he's God or something. He says, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And just for fun, he just throws on a second one. Why not? The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So this guy comes to him and he asks a simple question and he just says, God, Jesus, he says, what, what is the greatest commandment? Meaning, what is the most important thing? And Jesus sums up the entirety of the Old Testament, the entirety of the New Testament, as they will soon find out, with two commandments. Love God and love others. What does God want from you? I think that's a pretty good place to start. All right, sermon finished. All right? But isn't that ridiculous how simple that is? I mean, what does God want from us? There's more to it than that, right? Though if we start digging into that, love God and love people, 
It's a relationship. God wants to be in a relationship with us. What does God want from you this morning? God wants you. And more than that, I think he wants you to be the very best you. I feel like a motivational speaker right now, right? Like a self-help guru. God, God wants you to be the best you you can be. You might come across a little cliche, a little cheesy, but it's absolutely true. And it's the very reason that Jesus went to the cross. So that we could be part of God's family. So that we could understand. I mean, Jesus didn't have to come down to earth and, and walk as a man, but he chose to. So we would have an understanding of what it means to be human. What it really means to be human. As we're in this relationship with God. What does God want from us? God wants you. Like I said, this is a question that's been talked about a lot. It's a question that a lot of people have wrestled with in, in our scripture reading today, which was beautifully read, by the way. Uh, in Romans 12, we find the Apostle Paul looking at the very same thing, asking this question, God, what is it that you want from us? And this is what he has to say. See if this doesn't ring familiar with what Jesus was just saying about the greatest commandment. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let this be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. I plead with you to give your body. Can you just give part of your body to something? Right? There's that old expression, wherever you go, there you are also. We can't seem to get away with it, but this is what Paul is driving back. And I think that there's something different, though. Paul, as he explains this, he, he provides it with a twist, right? He doesn't just say, give your bodies as your spiritual act of worship. He doesn't say, just go all in, but he says, because all that God has done for you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What has God done for you? If you've never read the book of Romans, I highly encourage that you do it. The whole thing is a love letter, right? But to understand the book of Romans, we have to understand the context, right? We had, there were Jews that had been in this church and eventually they had to leave because there was this persecution and when the Jews had to leave the city of Rome and these, these other people, the, the Gentiles had come in and kind of taken over their church and there's a period of years that had gone on where where they, their one group had been replaced by the other group, and so they came back. And I just imagine all these Jews coming back to the city of Rome because it's safe now. I can just imagine them saying, dude, what happened to my church? Right? It's like we're full of Iowa State fans, and we come back, and there's all Hawkeye fans. I mean, what, what would the deal be with that, right? Some of you just got a little too excited about that prospect, right? But this, this whole group of people, they're asking this question, like, dude, what happened to my church? It should look like this. This is how we follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. And there's another group of people saying, no, we don't need any of that stuff. We don't need those rituals, right? We just need to keep it simple. We need to, we need to do these other things. And so there's this conflict that took place. And Paul wrote this entire book of the Bible to help these people understand that God's story is so much bigger it's so much more powerful than any disagreement that we can have. So he spends 11 chapters of this book telling us about the ways that God has loved us, telling us about the things that God has done for us, right? Freedom from sin. I'm kind of a fan. I kind of like that, that God has this ability to change us and to forgive us, right? Freedom from death. No longer does death have control over us. 
And the reason we can do that is he talks about throughout this entire book is that God loved us, that while we were messed up, while we were broken, while we kept doing our own thing, Romans 5.8 says, although while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God saw us in our need and he came after us. God kept the promises that have been going on for thousands of years. So as you start talking about this morning and thinking more deeply about what is it that God wants from you, maybe it's that he just wants you to drink in and accept, swallow whole all of the love that he has for you. When was the last time you did that? Right? We're so quick to jump to God. What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to share your, your good news with? And what if the first step is just saying, God, just, I need you to love me. What if that's the first thing that God wants to do? And so that's why he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And so the question that I think we need to ask the rest of the time this morning is how do we do that, right? If God wants a relationship with us, that's pretty easy. We can understand that. But how do we become the kind of people that do that? Well, I think as I was looking this morning, God's laid three things on my heart that we can do and because I wanted you to remember this, I thought I'd just treat it as Prop Sunday, right? This is, this is special Prop Sunday, right? You want to know how to have a good relationship with God? All you need to do, what is this? A clock. Yeah, you need to pay attention to the clock. Some, some of these things may be a little surprising to you. Not only do you need a clock if you're going to understand how to have a, a deep and passionate relationship with God, but you probably need a 99-cent loaf of white bread from Hy-Vee, right? Of course. That's exactly what we should thinking. But perhaps the thing that most of us will get excited about is you kind of need a pair of fairy wings, all right? So we can have a volunteer try these on in a little bit. But the thing is, as we look at this, if we want to be transformed by God, right, one of the first things we need to, to think about is, is how do we listen to God's voice? And as you read through the book of Romans, you read through the scripture, what you begin to see are people that don't just do what they want, right? But they're people that make themselves available to God's voice. And many people ask, I mean, how can I hear God's voice? Have you ever been in a place where you just have a big decision to make? You're trying to figure out, God, what is this? What do you, what's the decision that I should make? What's your will for me? And here's the thing, and I want to let you in on a little secret. God doesn't usually just show up and say, hey, you should wear that shirt this morning, Right? He doesn't help, although I wish that he did. I could use a little bit more help sometimes. No, God doesn't use an audible voice to teach us, uh, to guide us and to steer us in life. He uses the scriptures that he reads. He uses our church family and he uses our common sense. He even uses miracles. Did you know there's a talking donkey in the Bible? Right? Is that a miracle? I'm not talking about Shrek. I'm talking about the Bible. Right? God does what he wants. In fact, he can use whatever he wants to get through to us. But the question is not how does God speak to us. I think the question this morning is, are we listening? Are we taking the time to listen? That's why I brought a clock up here, because I want to ask you this morning, how do you use your time when it comes to your relationship with God? Right? If you had to draw a little chart and categorize it out, would you have very much time in there? Where would it be compared to the other aspects of your life? If God has these amazing things to say us, this important, helpful information, then shouldn't we be spending time listening to God? Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know, 
I'm pretty good at this, right? But let's be honest. We are a distracted group of people, right? We can be busy. We have things going on. Did you know, as, as I make the point here that we're distracted people, did you know that one quarter of all accidents in the United States are involving automobiles right now? One quarter of them have to do with distracted driving. One quarter. Thousands of people a year are dying because we're distracted behind the wheel. In Virginia right now, I wouldn't drive in Virginia. It's as many as 8 of 10 of those accidents are because of that. If you pick up a cell phone in a car, you're 23 more times more likely to crash, even just by picking it up. Many of us think, oh, yeah, we're good. We're multitaskers. I can get things done, right? Did you know that research says only 2% of us can multitask and actually have it be helpful? Most of the time, it slows us down. Right? And then there's the things that we stress about, the things that we are concerned about that just take our thoughts away, that drain our energy, that distract us from the things that God is trying to say to us. But you might be sitting here this morning, you might be saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not distracted. I, I know exactly what's going on all around me all of the time. Well, if that's you, then I've got a little test for you this morning. So uh, I'm going to show a video, and I don't want you to answer the question at the end until I cue you, Okay. So wake up, all right, sit up, get ready, do a little stretches, you know, pull, you know, get your eyes ready, watch this video, and I want to see what you can do to answer the question at the end. Let's take a look. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. I know some of you say, oh, I'm never distracted by anything, right? You, know, you, can, you can perceive exactly what's going on around you. Anybody got a number? 15. 13, 16, 14. All right. All right. Did anything else weird happen during that video that you noticed? I see some of you saying something. If you, if you don't know what we're talking about, let's just take another look at that again. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? All right, so since we're in church, I know none of you are going to lie this morning, right? But how many of you did not see the gorilla the first time through? Absolutely. Just look around at the hands that are up there, right? Right? I mean, we go through life thinking, and by the way, I flunked that the first three times I saw it. So I heard some of you chuckle the second time because you finally got it, right? But some of us, we, we go through life and we are so confident that we, we don't need to spend that much time with God. We, we know exactly what's going on around us. We can be in tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying. We think, gosh, to sit and to read my Bible, that just... That just seems like a waste of time, right? To spend time in prayer, to, to turn off the radio when I drive the car every once in a while, just to take five minutes just as you start your day, just to say, everybody just do that with me for a second. Can we just take a deep breath? Ready? One, two, three. Feels good, doesn't it? If we can't even spot a gorilla that runs through the middle of a video and goes like this, what are the chances that we miss the things that God has for us in our life, right? If we're going to be the kind of people that are transformed by allowing God to change the way that we think, if, if we're going to allow God to change our outside life by first changing our inside life, then we need to understand what it is that he's saying to us. We have to even open that conversation. We have to listen and spend time with him. And I wonder 
in living in such a distracted society, if God had a sense this is the way that humanity was going to progress. I wonder if this is why he chose to share these words with his disciples in Matthew 6. I want to read this together, and as we do, would you just consider this an invitation to experience God's love and just to rest? Let's read this together. Come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. We need to listen. We need to slow down. We need to take a break every once in a while and look at the way that we spend our time. We need to take a deep breath and allow God to love us, and out of that, we respond. It might just be what God wants for us today, right? So if that's about hearing God's voice, and if that's one of the ways that we pursue a relationship with God, if that's one of the things that God wants from us, right, is our ears as he speaks to us, then what do we do when we hear God's voice? What does God want then? Well, if we want to be transformed in the way that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, then there's more than just hearing God's voice. There's so much more. It's time to do something and to look with what God is doing. And so we see Jesus' first sermon, and you jump to the next slide, in Matthew chapter, in Mark chapter 1. Jesus has just spent time in the wilderness. He's just spent time, he's gone through his baptism. He's been preparing for his ministry. And it, and it comes time for his very first sermon of his ministry And this is what he has to say, and I love the brevity. Wouldn't you love to hear a sermon that's one sentence long? Right? This is what he says. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so I think as we look, what do we do with the stuff when we hear God's voice? What do we do with it? There's two words in there that we need to pay attention to. The first is repent, and the second is to believe. And I want to talk for just a moment about what these things look like, because here's the thing. When we hear the word repent, we all kind of cringe, don't we? Right? We think about the times that we got our hands slapped, that we got in trouble, that we were told that we weren't good enough, or, or we had to completely beg for forgiveness so that God would do that. And, and maybe that that's part of it. Right? Maybe repenting has to do with saying that we're sorry and doing things, but I think it's a lot bigger than that. Right? It's not just this change that God wants us to have on the outside, but it's this change that we experience on the inside. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Everybody say metanoia metanoia. There you go, right? It's often translated as repent, but literally, if you translate it, it means to change direction. It means to change your mind. It means to turn around, turn a corner, and go in a different direction. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the kingdom of God is here. It's time to stop orienting your life around you. And it's time to start orienting your life. It's time to wrap this life around. It's time to be transformed into a person who orients their life around the kingdom of God. We don't just need to be people who listen for God's voice, but we need to be people who allow God to change our minds and to change our hearts. It's one thing to hear what God has to say, but it's another to allow it to soak down deep in us. And I was thinking about all of the non-threatening ways that I could stand up here and talk about repentance today. And this is where the loaf of bread comes in. How many of you grew up with white bread? Like you just love white bread? Absolutely. I, as a kid, never had this. I didn't even know this existed until college. Can you believe that? Right? I went to college, and I'm pretty sure I just blew off the sandwich section the entire time uh, when I was in elementary school. They made us butter sandwiches with white bread, I'm pretty sure. I just thought that sounded gross. So I never, never, ever had one. Around my house, we always had wheat bread. 
right? So I get to college and I'm like, what is this stuff? White bread, this is amazing. It's soft and it's chewy, it's light and it's fluffy. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You will never switch to anything beyond this. And I was the same way. In fact, bread is one of my favorite food groups, right? I was the same way until, again, this is part of the the marriage process. You know, you begin living life with somebody really close and you begin to see the way they live their life. And my wife, she, she's amazing. She eats so healthy. Or at least she's working on, where as a family we're working on going more and more that way. And recently we kind of moved into this phase where we're like, all right, if it has five or seven or less ingredients, then we're not going to eat it. We're going to try and eat healthy and we're going we're gonna to move in this direction to do these things, right? And as I began to realize that, I thought, huh, I wonder how many ingredients are in a loaf of white bread. I can't even count this high. I think if you see this whole section right here, right, there's at least probably 30 ingredients that are in this. And the worst part is I can't even pronounce half of them, right? So if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to join in with what my, my wife is doing, then I need to change direction. And here's the thing about repentance, right? As we begin to make this decision in the process, there's this whole other world that that wraps up for us, that opens up for us. We were at the farmer's market yesterday, and I walked by this bad boy. I told you bread is my favorite food group, right? Most people go for the donuts or whatever. I walked by this bad boy, and all I could think was how amazing would this be with like an egg and sausage sandwich, a little couple slips of bacon on there, right? Right? I mean, this thing has five ingredients. And here's the thing. When you eat real bread versus processed bread with stuff I can't even pronounce in it, you don't get hungry as fast, right? This stuff, and then you taste it. You toast it. You put butter across it, and it's amazing. You all should just come up here and smell this. <laughs> right? Because here's the thing. If I'm going to be a part of what my wife is doing, if I'm going to be a part of this journey, then we have to not only repent. That's part of it to change direction, right? But it moves to the next part, which is the third thing that we need to do. We need to not just talk about or feel like God is changing our lives, but we need to step out in faith in the areas that we do, right? I can't just think, oh, I should eat this bread, right? Which of us, if we had a million-dollar lottery ticket, would say, hey, look, there's a lottery ticket, right? No, that's not what God asks of us either. We would take that sucker in and we would cash it, right? Faith isn't just a feeling. It's a misconception that we have that it's something... That's, that's inside of us, but it's an outward expression. As we repent, it's, it's when we step forward in faith that we see this begin to happen. Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about faith is the confidence that, we hope, that what we hope for will actually happen. And as followers of Jesus, it's part of our life. We don't just think about what God wants to do. We don't just hear God's voice. Or as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, we don't just hear God's teaching. But disciples, people that are learning, that are growing, disciples apply it. They step out in faith. So I can't talk about faith. I can't think about faith, at least for the last few years, without thinking of this picture, right? How ironic that a couple of years, or a couple of months, or weeks ago, John was talking about base jumping, and he was asking, are we in the snow globe, or are we flying around in these, these uh, squirrel suits, or the winged suits, that, the, and, yeah, the gliding suits that, that we fly through the air and to enjoy. And what I love about this, I think this picture demonstrates what faith is in such a great way, 
Because in the position that that guy is in, there's no going back, right? Faith isn't really faith unless we've stepped out and there's no going back. In fact, if you read the book of James, James says, faith without action, right? Faith that we can't see in action isn't really faith. And those can be challenging words, but I think there's some truth to that. Now, like I was just saying, though, I used to think of this picture as the definition of faith until a couple weeks ago when I met a guy named Nick Walenda. Have you heard of Nick Walenda? Right? If you haven't, you should, because he's the guy that thought it would be a good idea to walk a quarter mile on a a two-inch wide piece of cable 1,500 feet above the floor of the Grand Canyon. The guy is insane. He's either insane or he's got some confidence that I will never understand. Right? But there's something amazing as, as I watch this video of this guy walking across the Grand Canyon. As I was watching, I mean, to see this guy has confidence in something, and it's a powerful confidence. So I could tell you all about it, but I thought, you just got to see this for yourself. So let's watch this video, and as you watch it, think, what is it that Nick Walenda is really putting his faith in? Let's take a look. First time I watched that, I thought, why did he kiss that guy's foot? I don't understand. Oh, wait, he wanted to kiss the ground. Do you think Nick Walenda has some faith? Do you think his prayer life is very vibrant in moments like that, right? Because he's put himself in this situation where where reason isn't going to help him, right? Even his own abilities at some point are going to fail him. He's put himself in this situation where, quite honestly, it really seems like he just needs God's help. Right, when we talk about what is it that God wants from us, it's not just a relationship, but it's the best kind of relationship that we can have. The kind of relationship where we need to trust God, where we can hear His voice, where, where we understand what He's saying and, and, and we say, okay. We repent, we, we allow God to change our direction. And what that does is it leads us into situations where wings like this, right, aren't going to do a thing. What does faith look like in your life? Right? What does your relationship look like? If this is what God wants from you is a relationship where you're all in, where you've offered your body as a living sacrifice, your, not just your physical body, but everything about you, your relationships, your resources, all of those things, what does that look like? The amazing thing about Nick's story is, and I think it's true for all of us, is when people step out in faith, the entire world tunes in to watch. We live in a world where it's so hard to find hope sometimes that people are looking for anybody, anything that offers even the essence of hope. And I got to tell you, as a community and as a church, I've seen you doing that lately. I loved being here as part of our church family gathering last Sunday. When I watched so many of you take a step of faith to the back of this room to be prayed for, to share what was really going on, you'd heard God's voice and you'd said, I'm going to get over my fear. I'm going to go and I'm going to be prayed for. I'm going to let somebody else care for me. And I watched all the rest of you take that leap of faith to come up to the front and to say this bread and this wine that we had as part of communion last week was a clear symbol of God's presence as well. 
when we step out in faith, whether that's on a prayer walk with Serve Saturday, right? Whether it's throwing hot dogs at people as part of the, the, the Urbandale or the Beaverdale parade, right? These are all steps of faith, and I love watching this community do it. Here's the challenge, though. I think God has so much more for us. And the beauty of it all is that God doesn't just want our hearts. He wants all of us, and he's willing to meet us where we're at. Let's stand together and pray. As we worship the God who is greater than anything we can imagine.